pondering a question, and the question is the one from the song, or the carol, if you will, that asks, do you hear what I hear? And so we've been talking together about hearing, about the fact that God has given to us the gift of hearing. We often listen to the wrong voices, and yet God, in fact, commands us to hear. You will recall that uh, one of the most famous statements in the Old Testament is to Israel, hear, O Israel. And then when Jesus appears or when the Father speaks to Jesus in the New Testament, we hear these words, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And we talked about then the fact that God, by his grace, gives us ears to hear, ears to hear the good news of the gospel that is presented to us beginning here with Christmas. And then we talked about the words themselves. We looked at here the first words, which were the words of angelic greeting, uh, the words that are gracious and the words that say to those who were confronted in this situation, do not fear. And after that, last week when we were together on Sunday morning, we considered here the old words, and we looked at how when these people to whom this vision was made known, when they received these first words, when they heard from the angel, they made sense of what they heard, not by going forward, but by going back and looking at how God had fulfilled what he had spoken. And so they heard the old words and they record them so that we too can hear those and get a sense of the anticipation and the fulfillment there. Tonight, we consider this, hear the miraculous words. Hear the miraculous words. And let me read just a few words that have already been heard by us and read to us this evening from uh, the portion of the angel's uh, greetings to Mary and then her response to it. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, nothing is impossible with you, and so we pray tonight that as we hear your word, as we hear your word read to us, uh, sung to us, and as we hear it now proclaimed to us, that you would grant to us ears to hear, or that is a gift from you. Let us hear tonight of the good things that you have done for your people, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1980. The setting was Lake Placid, New York, and the Winter Olympics. Now, a good half of the people who are here in this room tonight know already what I'm about to say next, but I'll say it for those of us who don't remember exactly what took place there. But that to which I am referring is, of course, the uh, gold medal match that was taking place between the U.S. and uh, the Soviet Union. 
and coming towards the end of that match when the U.S. was going to win. That's one of those do you remember where you were moments for uh, many of us, and I do. Al Michaels made his now famous call. And his famous call at the end of that match, as all of us who were watching were cheering and were screaming out loud, was, do you believe in miracles? Yes, is what he said. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Now, this evening, we've got a question before us that is similar to that. We, uh, we frequently hear the use of the word miracle, and we hear it used to describe stunning events and circumstances, perhaps like this hockey match, like this unexpected victory. We hear it uh, when people uh, avoid a car crash that they didn't think there was any way they were going to avoid it, or uh, they are preserved through some kind of terrific storm or through a th terrific illness that they then survive. It was a miracle, we say, meaning it was highly unlikely that the odds were stacked against the outcome, stacked against us coming out of this particular thing okay. Now, perhaps one of the most frequent uses we hear of the word miracle is as it is used to describe a birth, a new life coming into the world. And if you have ever been in a delivery room for that moment, then you understand well why the word miracle is used in that setting. In one sense, uh, we can certainly say, and again, anybody who's witnessed this, who's been part of this, anybody can say that the birth of a child, any child, is a miraculous thing. And I guess there's a sense to which that is true. We recognize that the fact, the very fact that there's life in this world, that there's anything in this world is because the living God has spoken it into existence, has willed that it be so. And so in that sense, I suppose that it's true. Every life, every birth is in that sense miraculous. But, but in another sense, it's not. Right? We understand the process of reproduction. We get it. We understand the way it works. We understand the way it works in plants and in vegetables and in trees and with the birds and the bees and with people as well. Christmas, however, is something different. It is something other. It doesn't ask us do we believe in the miraculousness of the everyday, in the ordinary things that take place? It doesn't even ask, do you believe in the, the really unlikely things that might take place in this world, the seemingly impossible things? It asks this question of us. Do you believe in the humanly impossible? Do you believe in what is humanly impossible to take place. The words spoken by the angel to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds, they are miraculous words. They describe that which is going to be a truly miraculous event. This is going to be an inbreaking of God into the world, and things are not going to work like they normally work. This is other. This is different. The story of Christmas, the story that we've heard tonight, isn't 
only unlikely, it's not only improbable, it's humanly impossible. This is not some kind of a DIY project. This is not a, an effort in human self-help, an effort to make ourselves better in some way. It's not man-made. Virgins do not conceive and give birth to children, period. Virgins do not conceive and give birth to children. That is not the way that it happens in this world. And so when Mary gets this announcement from the angel, she asks a question, right? I just read it again for us. We've already heard it tonight. How, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, she's not here expressing doubt so much as she is expressing a level of confusion, a level of unclarity. What are you talking about? This actually isn't how this happens. So Mary, we saw this last week. Mary, like all of the other characters in these stories, Mary was familiar with the old stories, with the old words. She knew, for example, of Abraham and Sarah. She references him in particular. And she knew of the incredulity that met the announcement that was given to them that they, in their old age, would give birth and have, conceive and have a son. But she also knew that as the story is told and as the event took place, that Sarah didn't have the child by herself, that in fact it was the child of Abraham and Sarah, of them coming together and the Lord blessing that and bringing forth a child. She was familiar, just to take another example, we know she was familiar with the story of Hannah and Elkanah. Now, while Abraham and Sarah, by their very names, are familiar to us, Hannah and Elkanah maybe are not, but of course, Hannah and Elkanah were the parents of Samuel. And if you recall the story, Hannah was barren. God graciously heard her, her prayer he remembered her, he gave her a son, but that son wasn't delivered, if you will, immediately and directly by God and placed into Hannah's lap or into Hannah's womb. Instead, God gave her a son through coming together with her husband, Elkanah. Elkanah was part of the story as well. So when Mary hears this from the, from the angel, when she gets this announcement, she recognizes that this is in the line of the old stories. This is, I, I, I recognize the sound of this story because this story has taken place at other times in the history of my people. She gets the pattern of it. She recognizes that. But there is also something about what the angel has said to her and what is going to take place that is unmistakably different than what has taken place before. It's distinct. It is other. Her conception was going to be direct. It was going to be divine. What does the angel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Or if we want to bring in Joseph, what did the angel say to Joseph? That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's direct. 
It's immediate. This is what God is doing. And the angel then to Mary takes her and compares her pregnancy to that of Elizabeth's, right? In what I read for her, we read this. The angel, to kind of put this in perspective for Mary a little bit, says, verse 36 of Luke 1, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Again, this allows Mary to do two things at the same time. On the one hand, it allows Mary to see the connection of the stories, right? She recognized, okay, not only am I connected to these ones that I've mentioned in the past, past to Abraham and to Sarah and to Hannah and to Elkanah, but I'm also connected to something that God is doing right now with Zechariah and with Elizabeth as well. She recognizes the continuity of what God is doing even in the present but it's different. It's something other. It's something different. There's an otherness to her pregnancy. It is a miracle in every sense of the word. Not that those other pregnancies weren't mirac miraculous. They were. And they were miracles by the Lord as well. But this is no ordinary conception. And that's significant that this is no ordinary conception. The angel then goes on to say, therefore, because of the uniqueness of this conception, because of the way that God is going to accomplish this, this child, this child that comes from you, this child will be called holy. Holy. The child will be called other. The child will be set apart. The child will have a moral perfection about him that didn't characterize any of those other children. This child will be called the son of God. Not just the son of Abraham and Sarah, the son of Hannah and Elkanah, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the son of Mary and Joseph. This child will be called, in particular, the son of God. He'll be called Jesus. That's what Joseph is told. He's going to save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yahweh, saves. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Isaac and Samuel and John were not called Emmanuel. They weren't referred to as God with us, but Mary's child would be. All of which, of course, seems to be impossible. And so the angel concludes with these words, which are absolutely indispensable to the story of Christmas, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. In fact, we can say it this way. Christmas has to be humanly impossible because the entire point of Christ, the anointed one, coming into the world was to accomplish something that was humanly impossible, namely saving us. Saving humanity from our sins. In some ways, we can look at the entirety of the Old Testament as preparing us for this story, preparing us for this moment. God created us perfect and upright. 
We sought out all sorts of evil, all sorts of devices on our own. Nevertheless, God so loved the world that he desired to save his people. But every man, every person raised up in this half of the, well, not even half, in this two-thirds of the Bible right here, every person raised up to deliver, to save God's people, ends up in exactly the same place. They all also need to be saved. Every single one of them who comes also needs the salvation that they are trying to provide for the people of God as well. And thus, the great lesson, and it's the great lesson that is as clear as it can be in the Old Testament, and it carries in through song all the way into New Testament to say it, and I think as, as, as briefly as we can with as much brevity as we possibly can from the scriptures themselves, the lesson is this, salvation is of the Lord. That's the song, Old Testament, New Testament song. Salvation is of the Lord. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Christmas draws its oxygen from the air of impossibility so that it can breathe out the spirit of life in this newborn son. When he is born, when he comes forth from Mary, when he draws his first breath of the air of this fallen world, then new life has come into the world. There was one. There was one holy man who took his first breath in this air as a holy man. That was Adam. And after that, all of the sons who came after him took the breath of a fallen world. Now when this baby Jesus comes in, he comes into the world, he breathes in this air. When he breathed his first breath, I imagine that there was a breach in the gates of impossibility. And I imagine that when he breathed his last breath and gave up his life, I imagine perhaps at the gates of impossibility, they said, whew, that was close. We dodged it. It was a miracle, but we dodged it. We thought, we thought that he might be the one to break down these gates of impossibility, but now we know he can't. Death reigns. And when he breathed his first breath as a resurrected savior, and he came to his disciples on the first evening, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then impossibility, impossibility crumbled and life rushed in to the world. During his life, there was a man who came up to Jesus, a successful man, a, by the world standards, good man. And he had a question for Jesus. He said, teacher, teacher, what good thing, what good deed do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Tell me. Jesus said, it's easy. Obey all the commandments. 
And he said, I'm good. I've done that. I've obeyed all the commandments. Great. One thing you lack, go sell all you have. Give that to the poor. He went away sad. Now, the disciples are listening to this conversation, and the disciples are alarmed. They're in despair about this conversation because it seemed to them that if what Jesus was saying was true, if that's what he was saying, that that's what it takes to receive eternal life, then salvation would be impossible. Who then can be saved? They ask in astonishment. Jesus looked at them and said these words, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so I ask you this Christmas Eve, do you believe in miracles? In particular, one miracle. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary without sin for us and for our salvation. Do you believe in that miracle? Your life depends on it. Your salvation depends on it. Join with Mary and believe that God can accomplish the impossible and you will be blessed. It is Elizabeth that confirms Mary's belief and status. Elizabeth says this of her, blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she because she heard the words that were spoken to her from the Lord, from the angel, and she believed them. And I say to you, blessed are you if you believe that there was a fulfillment of the word that was spoken to Mary. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Great God in heaven, help us to believe we recognize the challenge of it. Help us to believe that you do and have done that which is impossible. You have accomplished our salvation by sending your son into this world, conceived by your spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her. Help us to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.